you're listening to the Pomerado Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you're a weekly listener, welcome back. If this is your first time, we're so glad you're here and hope you consider subscribing. If you're in your car, on a run, doing things around the house, or working out, and want to connect even further and take next steps with us, visit pomerado.info. Now, enjoy this week's message. Welcome, everybody. So glad to have all of you who are here with us in person. Want to welcome those of you who are joining us online. And just know that whether you're live in person, live online, or maybe watching or listening throughout the week, know that you are prayed for, cared for, and loved before you showed up or before you turned on your screen. And if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, I would love an opportunity to connect after the service. And we're just very grateful to have um, all of you here with us this morning, knowing that you could be anywhere else and you could be doing other things, but taking this time to worship God through song, to connect through fellowship or through community, to dive into God's word is something that is so important and valuable for those of us who are on our journey of faith, to make sure that we are investing in worship and fellowship and disciples in evangelism and serving and that God would continue to grow each and every one of us. And so I believe that each person who hears these words this morning and who's here, whether in person or watching online this morning, is someone who is deeply loved by God, someone that Jesus died for, and someone that the Holy Spirit wants to draw one step closer to God this morning. And so we're just so thankful that you are here with us today. Now, we are in a series, uh, we're starting a brand new series, just three weeks, called The Lost Parables of Jesus, and the subtitle is God's Heart for Sinners. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 15 and the lost sheep today, the lost coin next week, and the lost son in a couple weeks from now, and the whole idea is to see the context of how much God loves people who are far from him, and then also to realize the reality that all of us are people who have been far from God. And so everyone who's sitting here, everyone who's listening to this message is someone that at some point or another was far from God. And then the love of Jesus has either already captured our hearts or is something that God is working in us for us to understand how much God truly loves us. And that that doesn't mean that we keep going on in our sin. It also doesn't mean that we have to earn God's love because he loves us so much that he gave it. We can't deserve it or earn it, but he gave it so we can receive it. So here's what I want to start off with the lost sheep. Now we'll, um, we'll be in Luke chapter 15 verses one through seven. If you want to follow along in the Bibles, if you brought your Bible app, great. You brought your own Bible. Great. If you're watching online, you can click the Bible tab. And if you're here in person and you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles in the seats underneath you. So we'll be in Luke chapter 15 verses one through seven today. And you know, typically whenever we talk about kind of like the lost anything in this chapter. It's very easy to think about a a specific time where you lost something. Like, oh, have you ever had a time where you lost your keys and you lost your cell phone or, you know, you lost something. And so, well, we might hit on that later on um, in the series. But today, what I want to start off with is a story. Have you ever lost, like, track of someone in your life? It's a person, someone who means so much to you. And all of a sudden, you don't know where they are. When I was in, uh, it was 2005, so I was um, younger than I am now. And so uh, I was at a camp as one of the camp counselors. And there's one week where it was a middle school week and we had uh, a student named Ricky. Ricky was someone who was having a 
a really hard time, to be honest, in camp. And he was really struggling with a lot of things. He started off, they came with their church and um, the one, the pastor there. But then I became the one he kind of got close to early on. He was in my cabin. He shared a little bit. Um, he was just really, really struggling and was angry and sad and all these things at once. And I remember kind of halfway through the week, there was a moment where he started getting angry at me. And then, uh, but I'm like, okay, but here's the thing. I'm only here with him for one week. And so if he gets closer to his pastor, the one who can actually shepherd and care for him, that would be a win because at least that means he's got long-term pastoral shepherding care. But there was this one night where, again, he was having a really hard time and I was walking around, uh, heading back to the cabin. And I heard from one of the students, one of the other boys in my cabin that said, Hey, Ricky's gone. We can't find him. And this is one of those where all of a sudden I'm like, oh my goodness, like where's Ricky? It's already dark out. And I start walking around and, and trying to look for him to see where he's at. And it, I don't know how long it was. It wasn't overly long. But when you've lost someone that is within your care, any moment feels like an eternity. And so I'm looking around and trying to find him. And then uh, other counselors are helping me. We're looking. And then all of a sudden I find out like, oh, he was just hiding in the closet. He's fine. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I had this moment where I was wearing a sweatshirt. Um, that's a random detail, but I was wearing a sweatshirt. And I remember just like, I was so just like frustrated and relieved and concerned and angry. And, and again, excited that he was found that I remember just like taking off my sweatshirt and throwing it on the ground because it was just this idea of all this emotion and just recognize, oh my goodness, I thought he was lost. And that meant that we, what, what did that mean for us? Where was he? Was he hurting himself? Was he okay? Is he just misplaced? Did he stray or did he intentionally go off somewhere that would be unsafe? And so just all of these emotions and then I'm like, oh, he was just hiding. And I came back to the cabin um, after I put my sweatshirt back on and, and he was, I walk inside and he's just laughing with the other guys. And so I'm like, okay, it's all right. But for those moments, anytime there's someone within your care and you can't seem to find them, a moment feels like an eternity. And if that's my heart for one student I met one time 18 years ago with a one week time in, of acknowledging him within my life that our paths had crossed, if that's how I felt for that one time, how much more? How much more is God's heart for those who are far from him, who are wandering, who are lost? How much more is God who created and shaped us and, and breathed life into us and formed us and, and created us and brought us onto this earth who knows the days of our lives and the numbers of hairs on our head. He knows what our cries are, our gifts are. He knows us so well. If I felt that emotion for one student I met 18 years ago for one week, how much bigger, greater, and more magnificent is God's heart for you and for me? For all the people he's created, whether they're far from him or near to him. Friends, we're going to unpack the heart God has for people far from him over the next few weeks. And so as we get ready, will you join me in a word of prayer as we dive into the lost sheep parable from Luke chapter 15. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person who is part of um, our service today, whether they're live in person, live online, watching or listening later. Lord, I pray that each person who hears my voice knows that they are deeply loved by you. And God, if that is the only thing that comes through this morning, may that resonate in such a powerful way that all other facts of their lives, all other things they may turn to for their identity would pale in comparison to being a beloved child of God. 
Lord, I pray that as we dive into your word, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. Lord, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I mentioned, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. And as we're turning there, I want to read the first couple of verses that gives us the context of who is part of this, who is it that Jesus is speaking to, and why is he about to share these lost parables in this section. So if you look on the screen here, we start off with Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now we got to take a moment to pause here because... This was something where in the Jewish culture, going back from the Old Testament or the Jewish scriptures all the way up until Jesus' time, that there was this idea of needing to be ceremonially clean, that you needed to be able to separate and remove yourself with that which could contaminate or defile you. And so this idea of cleanness and this idea of holiness was so ingrained for hundreds of years that the idea that a they didn't know that Jesus was the Messiah. And in fact, the Pharisees would think, oh, they'd call him rabbi, but they didn't trust in him as, as, a, as a Messiah, as the Christ, as the coming anointed one that was to be the Messiah and the savior of the world. So they just come and they think, who is this teacher, this rabbi, who is spending time with people that are sinners? And he eats with them. It's not like he just goes and helps them for a moment and goes back to his ivory tower or to his clean place of living. It's he goes there and then all of a sudden he, he dines with them. He extends relationship with them. That We all know that when you have someone over to eat or you go over to their house or, or you have a meal with someone, that's a different level of relationship and friendship than just seeing someone passing by. And so it's saying the Pharisees are like, who is this man? He welcomes sinners. He sees those that are far from God, and he actually spends time with them. He eats with them. He, he sits with them. How can he claim to be clean? How can he claim to be a proper Messiah, or excuse me, a proper rabbi, when he's still engaging with people who are dirty and who are far from God and who do all the wrong things? So one of the uh, commentators talks about this when he says that the Old Testament warnings not to associate with sinful people were no doubt applied to Jesus' association with tax collectors and sinners. So it's saying that same mindset, don't associate with people who are sinful, is the same mindset they came into when it came to Jesus. Yet, Jesus associated with such people to offer them salvation through repentance and faith, not to participate in their sin. And that's the important part, right? Jesus was like, I'm going to connect with you. But here's what Jesus doesn't do. Jesus doesn't condone the prostitutes and, and the tax collectors and the sinners, right? He doesn't say, oh, it's okay, no problem. Just do whatever you want to do. Because after all, you and I, we could be the own determiners of what's right and wrong. He doesn't do that. He doesn't condone what they're doing. But friends, if we read John chapter 8, we also know he does not condemn. In the sense of, he says, is there anyone else here when the, a woman caught in adultery? And is there anyone else who can accuse you? And they said, no one. Well, then neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. Friends, whenever we associate with people, whenever people see us associating with people who are far from God, they think automatically, well, well, then you must condone everything that they're doing. Well, then no, I don't condone them. So then it's almost like you have to go on the other side and say, well, then do you condemn them and you hate them? But Jesus didn't condone. He doesn't condemn. What he does is he connects. He, he meets with people. He sits with people. He has meals with people who are far from God. 
He doesn't say, oh, it's okay that you're doing all those things. It's okay to be a prostitute or it's okay to betray your nation. Or it's okay to, what it's saying is, hey, I know all the things you do and we're still gonna have a meal together. I know the fact that you are far from God. And part of my role here as the Messiah, Jesus is I'm going to not, yes, there is a condemnation when we don't confess our sins. Yes, there, is, there are consequences to our sin. But in that moment, Jesus sets the example that if we want to have a relationship with people who are far from God, doesn't mean we have to condone, and it doesn't mean that we have to condemn. We can connect, build relationship, and in so doing, we are like Christ because we build relationships with people far from God, and we help them and point them towards Jesus. So I've mentioned before how I've been on different missions trips. I mentioned uh, that I've been to Haiti. I mentioned that I've been to uh, Zimbabwe. Um, and there's one mission trip I took in 2014, I believe it was. And it was a very different trip because it was one that was still on American soil. I didn't go overseas, but it was going to a mission field that at first glance can feel a little, a little awkward, a little difficult. But here's what happened. There's a picture here of me and a team that we went to um, this was a team that was connected with Triple X Church, which is an accountability software for people that are addicted to pornography. And early on in their ministry, what they would do is have, they still have the software, it's called X3 Watch, but what they would also do was they'd have teams who would go to porn conventions and to be able to share the fact that Jesus loves them too. That no matter what walls were built up, it says Jesus loves you. And going into a place that was be filled with darkness and to be a light in a dark place, to be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Now, there was a team of us here that went and my job um, was to stay here. So instead of going around and seeing everything that was going on, my job was to stay at the booth. One, to connect with the, the guys that would come and walk around because there'd be people who pay for this convention and they're, they're so excited to see whatever's going on. And then they realize after like a little bit of time that there's nothing really fulfilling there. So they go and they come back and talk and we give them Bibles and we talk to them about Jesus and we build relationship. And so my job was to help build relationship with people who are attending and then also to help protect the, the women on our team to make sure that people weren't being disrespectful or, or, or anything like that. And so you'll notice here that um, I don't have my glasses. The good thing is, and this is what we talked about, is without my glasses, I'm fairly blind. And so it's one of those where I just took off my glasses. And so I couldn't see half of what was going on anyways. But what I did do is I, I got really, really familiar with how many lights were in the ceiling when I was walking around and the pattern of the carpet on the floor. And so it's just one of those, we're just being aware. And so Steph and I, we prayed about this. Would this be an opportunity for me to go and serve? And so together we prayed about it and I joined this team. And there were some incredible, incredible things that took place. There were also some incredibly painful things and heartbreaking things that took place. But if I may, what I wanna illustrate with this is that this idea that there'd be Christians who would go into a place like a porn convention and to be able to say, Jesus loves you. Well, what happens? There might be some of us who we might naturally want to say, oh, are you condoning what they're doing? No, not at all. Well, are you condemning them while we're saying that there's a better hope for you than, than money or than whatever it is that you're receiving here? So, so it's saying, hey, we want to connect with you. 
And so the women on our team, they had a, a, a section in the back where they would provide, um, it could be like a makeup room or snacks or just things to be able to sit down with the different women who were there working there and be able to talk to them and build relationships. There's a woman across the way from us that loved like vanilla pretzels. And so one of the women on the team bought her pretzels and was just talking to her, connecting with her, not condoning, not condemning, but connecting in the hopes that there would be a right relationship with one another in order to point to a right relationship with Jesus. And so the tension we might feel to think of Christians going to a porn convention is the same tension that the Pharisees would say, you can't eat with those sinners. You can't welcome them. You can't, you can't have a, a relationship. Jesus can't go and talk to prostitutes. He can't go and talk to sinners and tax collectors and betrayers and all these awful things. But this is what Jesus does. He shows us that to love people and to welcome in people and to build relationship with people who are far from God doesn't mean we have to condone. It doesn't mean we condemn them and don't talk to them. It means that we connect. We connect them to the gospel of Christ and the hope that comes in a relationship with him alone. So we start off with this idea of what is it then that we do? We see the context. Jesus is talking to, he sees the Pharisees. He sees the, tax, the people who are questioning his interactions with the tax collectors. And he's not participating in their sin. He's connecting with them. So what is it that we learn from this passage of what these parables point us to, specifically in this first one? The first is this idea of that we are called, you and I, to go after the lost. To go after the lost. Not just to let the lost stay lost. Not to just wash our hands of them like Pilate did and say, oh, well, you know, that must be for someone else to handle. And well, and only if their family structure was better and only if this was better, if only they had more economic opportunity. I mean, whatever it is, it's not for us to wash our hands of. It's for us to go after the lost. Because if there's one thing that Jesus did, he went after the lost. He came for you and for me when we were far from him. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrated his love for us in that. And so it's not about us getting everything together and then presenting ourselves to be approved. It's Jesus came to a broken world, littered and filled with sin, and said, I'm going to go after those. I'm going to bring those far from God, near, through Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection. We continue on here, starting again in verse 3. So then Jesus told them this parable. Who's the them? The tax collectors that are watching. He told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? A couple of things are important for us to recognize here. One, if there's a shepherd who has a hundred sheep, this shepherd is very wealthy. Uh, Most shepherds would not necessarily have such quite a a large flock. And so the idea is that in in his wealth, you might expect a shepherd who has a hundred sheep to see one and to say, you know what? That's only 1% loss. That's really not that big of a loss. I still got the 99 over here. And so what I'm going to do is, you know, yeah, you know, Billy Goat over there, he's, he's going to die. And that's okay because I've still got my 99. But it's out of his wealth. It's not that he's saying, oh, I don't care about the one. He's saying it doesn't matter how big and the flock is. It doesn't matter how grand and how wealthy the owner, the shepherd is. The heart for the one causes him to leave the 99. The heart for the one causes him to go and do that. Now, what I want to do is I want to highlight this word lost here because there's actually two different parables. One right here, Luke 15, 
And then there's Matthew 18, verses 10 through 14. And they both have, the, at initial glance, they look like they're saying the same thing. Both of them talk about a sheep who's separated from the 99. Both of them show that the shepherd leaves the 99 to care for the one. But they have two different words for what happens to the sheep. And so the first one, this idea of lost, what does it mean? What are the two different ideas of lostness that we see here in these parables that Jesus uses at different times to different audiences to make a similar point? So in Matthew 18, here's how it starts off. It says, what do you think? He says, Jesus says, if a man owns a hundred sheep, sounds similar, and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly, I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Sounds very similar, but there's two different words that we need to unpack here. This word wander is different than the word lost we see in Luke chapter 15. The, an idea of a sheep wandering is the idea that there's a hundred here and one just kind of goes off and kind of gets distracted and, you know, sees something that they want to go look at and, and kind of strays a little bit, but it's still, it's still part of the flock. We're still someone that um, there's a connection the shepherd has and says, okay, just, just kind of, he's having a hard time. We might use the example of someone who is part of a church or, or, or is a Christian, but it's just, you know, kind of stopped being consistent in following Jesus. Maybe they don't have spiritual disciplines in their life. Maybe they no longer attend church. Maybe they no longer connect with other believers so they don't have a community anymore. And they just slowly but surely start to wander off. And so this is a very quick video. It doesn't have any sound. So I'll just play it really quickly of, of what it might look like when a sheep, because sheep are just, they're not smart. And I know you hear that all the time, but man, I hope that this 30 second video might give a little bit of indication of that. So let's quickly take a picture, watch this, where it's a, a boy who sees a sheep who's stuck inside of a ditch. Go ahead and start playing the video for me, please. And he starts to pull him out. He starts to get like a little hook around there, a little strap, and he pulls him out. The sheep is trying so hard to get out, and he's so happy, so happy. Look at how gallant he is, and then jumps right back into the ditch. <laughs> and, and, he just, and the boy's like, I don't even know, like, what do I even do? with this in my life. And so the sheep is, is excited. And friends, we are like sheep, right? Like we go astray. We might do foolish things. And so we're finally free from whatever it is that has held us back. And we're so excited about it that we plop ourselves right back into it all over again. And then we need the shepherd to come after us one more time. Now, here's the thing. The heart of the shepherd is that he does come after us, right? The heart of the shepherd is that he doesn't leave us in our ditch and say, well, I'm going to wash my hands of you. What he says instead is that I'm going to have nails pierce my hands for you. He lays down his life for his sheep. But this idea, friends, Isaiah 53, this passage we referred to the past, uh, last week, talking about Easter, talks about this idea that we are all like sheep, that we have all gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him, him being the Messiah that was being predicted in this passage in the Old Testament. The Lord has laid on Jesus, if I may, the iniquity of us all. It's saying we've all strayed. We've all wandered off. We've all gone our own way. And Jesus' heart is to bring us back into the fold, to bring us back into the flock. And so we see this idea here that in 1 Peter, Peter writes, using, quoting that verse from Isaiah, says this, he himself, again, Jesus, bore our sins, his body on the cross that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Why? 
For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And so it's saying this, we've all gone off. We've all been in ditches, either of our own making, of our own sinfulness, of our own temptations, or from really difficult experiences that have happened to us. And we've all gotten into that. And the good shepherd, he pulls us out. And there are times when we're so excited to be free that we will come right back into our ditch. Grant Osborne, in, this, in his commentary about Matthew 18, talks about the beauty of the fact that the shepherd leaves the 99. He says, this image is powerful. Would shepherds actually leave their flock helpless as they search for a stray? I mean, think about it. Losing 1% of your flock at the risk of wolves or other shepherds stealing or other things happening, losing so much more. He's saying, would shepherds really do this? The possible hyperbole strengthens the picture. Why? Because God would. If I may take it a step farther, God did. He knows that when we are far from God, when we are far from him, he sent Jesus who knew no sin to became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. We recognize that we cannot earn and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We like sheep have all gone astray. And yet what Jesus has done by bearing our sins and by laying down his life as a good shepherd does, he allows us to return to the shepherd of our souls, the overseer of our souls. So we have this idea of the lost or a sheep that wanders off or strays in Matthew 18. Luke 15's verb though, or verbiage, is a little bit stronger and has a little bit of a different focus. Go to the next one. Then Jesus told them this parable. So we're looking at the same section we looked at in Luke 15:3. Suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? This word for lost is actually the same word we saw in Matthew 18, 14. If you remember on that slide, which I don't expect you to, but it's okay. Matthew 18, 14 had the word wanders highlighted and it had the word perish highlighted. What this means is that this word perish is the same word we see for the lost here. Why is that important? Because what Matthew 18 is talking about are sheep that have just kind of strayed. They, they, they love the Lord, but they've just stopped paying as much attention. They've stopped pursuing him. They've started to wander off. And like sheep, we all do this. And we go off in our own direction. We get stuck in the ditch and we want Jesus to get us out. But what this idea talks about, when, when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees in Luke 15, he's saying the lost, this word is the idea of perish. This is the idea of destruction. This means that there are people who are literally destroyed because they are far from the shepherd. That a sheep on its own that is completely lost is not just one that strayed like Ricky did in the cabin. It's not one that strayed like the sheep there. It's one who is going off to ultimate and unequivocal destruction. Their hope will be perished. This is the idea that comes when, whenever you watch movies and, and there's often a moment or a book where there's often a moment where it feels like all hope is lost. It's not lost like I misplaced my cell phone. It's lost like all hope is perished. There is no going back. There is no hope that this is going to end up as a happy story. And so you might think of examples of, of Han Solo when he's frozen in carbonite. You might think of examples of Toy Story 3 when all the, all the toys are holding each other's hands looking into the incinerator. You, you might think of examples of Avatar, the first one, not the airbender, but the blue people and the Navi. And the idea of when the final battle and so many characters are getting killed and the odds seem overwhelming. And you think all hope didn't just wander off. All hope is 
perished. It is lost. There is no hope that can come back. It's in all the Disney movies where the character dies, and if not for a bit of magic or not for some spell that breaks the curse, they're able to come back to life. But in that moment, when Belle's tear hits the beast's face, it feels like all hope is lost. It's perished. It's destroyed. That is the degree of lostness in Luke 15. Not a wandering, but a perishing. Not a, oh, we need to bring a fellow believer back into the fold. Yes, Jesus does that. But we also need to have a heart for those who are so far from God that without an intervention, they would perish. Another example, I won't show the clip because it's a little too much um, here, but it reminds me of this idea of when Forrest Gump in the movie Forrest Gump, um, he has this time where he's uh, in Vietnam. If you remember the scene where he goes and he runs and he runs so fast that he escapes out of the jungle. And then he looks around and sees that none of his fellow platoon mates are with him. And so he says, I got to find Bubba. And sorry for the accent. And he runs back in there. Why? Because he's like, I got to go find my friend. He runs back. And after a while, let's go to the next, let's go to the picture. It doesn't show um, too much. But it's this idea of all of a sudden you start to see that there are other soldiers. That every time he runs in to rescue his friend Bubba, he finds someone else. That if it weren't for him, they would perish. He fireman carries them up and runs to this little beachhead, drops them off, and keeps going. And he keeps doing this, even with Lieutenant Dan, who doesn't want to be saved. But it's this idea of he knows that he's got to find his friend. But in the meantime, he cannot leave others behind. Why? Because without his bravery and without the courage to go back, he could have easily stayed there. He could have washed his hands and said, oh man, I just wish my friends were faster like me. I I wish they were safe like me, man. Wouldn't that be great? I'll pray for them to be safe. Instead of just staying safe, he risks danger to go and rescue those who are not lost because they've wandered off. They're lost because they're about to perish. And he goes and he rescues them. He brings them fireman's carry, drops them off. And then with his friend Bubba, he carries him like this because the, um, the air support was coming and was blowing up the jungle. And you see him like running through and he barely makes it. They barely make it. And none of them would have survived if it wasn't for him leaving those who were, he, he brings some of them and says, okay, just stay here. I got to find Bubba. And so there's a group of people who are wounded, who are hurt, who are able to be attacked again. But he left them because they were safer in their numbers than the ones who were lost and perishing. So let me give a quick comparison between these two parables that I think will help us out here. The lost sheep parables compared. In Matthew 18, it's spoken to Jesus' disciples. It says the disciples came and asked him a question. In Luke 15, it's spoken to the Pharisees and the scribes. There's a sheep who strays, wanders off. There's a sheep who is lost, who is going to perish, who is destroyed, if not for one who came to rescue. The straying sheep is not devastated. It it comes back. It's okay. The lost sheep repents and is returned. And then the last idea is that the theme is pastoral. This one is, Matthew 18 is like pastor is another word for shepherd, right? So it's the idea of, hey, if you have someone who's wandering off, who's a friend of yours, a fellow believer of your, a, a fellow believer in Christ. And you say, hey, I've noticed that it seems like you're struggling. Let's, let's bring you back into the fold. Jesus does that. And we're called to do that. But the theme here in Luke 15 is evangelist or evangel- evangelical. Nope. With evangelism. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. So anyways, it's this idea of, it's like, it's this heart of evangelism to say, go and rescue those who are not straying, 
but are perishing. And maybe like Lieutenant Dan, they don't even want to hear about the good news. That doesn't mean we don't risk it. And it doesn't mean that we just wash our hands of what they're experiencing. We forget about them. We go and we try to find and go after and seek and save that which is lost. Here in the quotation from one of the commentaries, it points us to that. The targets of the story are not wayward sinners. Remember, this is not, Jesus doesn't say this parable to the tax collectors and the sinners. He says it to the religious people who do everything the Bible requires. Jesus is pleading not so much with immoral outsiders as with moral insiders. He wants to show them their blindness, narrowness, and self-righteousness, and how these things are destroying both their own souls and the lives of the people around them. He's saying, friends, you got to get this. You're looking at me and saying, how could you eat with the sinners and the tax collectors and the evil people? When the truth is that Jesus, he said, I came not for the healthy, but for the sick. And the truth of the matter is, is that we like to think we're the healthy ones. We like to think, well, I go to church and I read my Bible and I pray. And so therefore, I don't need Jesus. Friends, we need Jesus all the more. We need Jesus because we need to remember and to recognize that it's not about our good works. It's not about how many days in a row in the Bible app we've had. It's not about our attendance on a Sunday morning only. It's not only about whether we give or whether we serve or whether we pray outside of meals. It's, it's the fact that who Jesus is to us, we do those things out of the overflow of his love, not because we're trying to earn his love. And so it's saying this is that, friends, if we think, oh, those people are the bad people, if we're saying that, we better be saying that, pointing to our own face in the mirror, saying, I know that as Paul says, I too am the chief of all sinners. Because friends, if we look at Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, which we'll spend the summer studying more in depth, but if you look at that, so much of it says, oh, oh, you haven't murdered someone? That's good. Have you ever had anger in your heart towards them? Because that's murder. Oh, okay. Oh, oh you, you, you've not committed adultery? That's good. You ever lusted in your heart? That's adultery. And so when we recognize that even our thoughts can be sin, then I can say I'm the chief of sinners because I know my thoughts. You know your thoughts. And like Paul, we can say, man, if it's just about our own thoughts, then we know we fall short. And so if God can save the worst of all, the chief of sinners like me, that I know he can have grace and save all of you. So we need to go after the lost, right? But then it's not just about the, the, the finding of the lost, it's to rejoice with the found. If you were to look at words that repeat in this chapter, it's lost, found, rejoice, or lost, found, party. It's this idea that there's a celebration that happens when the lost have been found. This is not just like, oh man, that's cool. Man, it's a good day. Like it's, this is like, let's celebrate. Let's, let's do all this together. So let's continue on. Looking at verse five, it says this. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I have rescued the sheep that was perishing and was destroyed, that all hope was lost and perished. And I found him or I found her that I can bring back to the 99 and we ought not be the 99 that says, well, I wish I'm the good one. So why are we celebrating the one who went off and did the wrong thing anyways, when they could have all just been good like me? We can't have the same perspective as the Pharisees who would have been the ones who say, hey, rejoice with me. Remember, Jesus is talking to them. He's saying, rejoice with me. The people that are far from Yahweh are being drawn closer to him. 
Rejoice with me that people who are perishing are finding hope in God. But the Pharisees don't rejoice. They grumble. They're not excited about bridges being built. They want to keep their walls up and stay in their ivory tower and to stay in their comfortable, perfectly clean, holy existence. He says, rejoice with me. And we continue on verse seven. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Doesn't mean that God doesn't love the 99. It just means that the 99 need to remember that at one point we were all the one. And so if we remember when we were the one sheep that wandered off or was destroyed or going to be destroyed, and we remember what that's like, then we can rejoice with those who rejoice. We can celebrate with those who are falling or who are following him. I shared earlier that there was a really painful story that happened at that um, porn convention within that story. And one of them was that two of the women had really built a relationship with a young girl who was um, part of this really awful group that had taken her. It's just awful, awful stuff. Um, and she says, I want to get out. Like, I want to, I want to get out of this. And so they say, okay, we're going to take you. We're going to bring you into our hotel room. And they end up staying. And we were, not me person, but our team was trying to call, okay, where are places that can house someone who's trying to get out of this industry? And she was from Florida. So they're trying to find places in Florida or trying to call and just find out. What little sidebar, one of the things I'm really excited about is that we partner with a ministry in San Diego called Generate Hope that does this very thing to help people get out of human trafficking and help women get out of that industry. So it's really, really cool. And we'll learn more about that later. But this idea is that this, this woman's like, okay, she just slept all day and our team was trying to find a way out. And we finally got to the point where, okay, we have a place for her. We can get her a flight. We can get her to where she can go and escape. And when she was faced with that reality, she, she said, I have to go and I have to get my, my, there's this blanket that I've kept with me, something that I've held on to that has comforted me. And, and I, I, this, is, this has been like a security blanket for me. I have to go back and get it before we leave. And our team says, no, don't, don't go. Like, don't go back. Just let it go and imagine the freedom you can have if you just don't go after that. And she's like, I need it, I need it. And so the two women who, drew clo- who were closest to her came over, knocked on the door, And when the guy who was the bad guy opened the door, he just snatched her back in and she didn't get out. She, she remained lost. And so we were rejoicing with the fact that we're going to have a place for her. You're going to be able to be set free. You're going to have this. And then all of that, all of that was just crushing to our team especially the two women that said, we never should have taken her. We never should have taken her, but they couldn't stop her. And because of that, she got right back in and just hadn't heard from her since. So the joy of the finding shows that there's still that idea of the lostness that is so, it causes such perishing and such heartbreaking dynamics. So we rejoice with those who rejoice when they come back, but we ought to still mourn with those who mourn because their son or their daughter or their spouse or their loved one is perishing now and remembering that. But we remember 
The 99 righteous persons do not need to repent. Douglas Mangum says it this way. He says, the emphasis of this whole sermon, of this passage, of this section, is that God loves sinners and celebrates their repentance. He loves sinners and celebrates their repentance. He loves sinners. He loves you and he loves me when we fall short. And he celebrates when we've been walking in our own direction, we've strayed and wandered off or we're lost and perishing. And when we have that moment where we repent and we turn back and we walk back closer to God and as we come near to him, he comes near to us. So let's, let's share a, 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 well, here's a quotation I wanna share then we're gonna share a positive story that, to close out this idea. The specific reason for Jesus sharing these three parables about lostness is to explain why his ministry is focused on the population that the religious elite haughtily identify as sinners and unworthy of their attention. It says, we're, we're above them. We are the healthy. They are the sick. They're wrong. He continues on. This is not God's attitude toward even the lowest prodigal who nonetheless comes to himself and repents. Even the one who's the furthest from God. If he repents, he's never like, oh, you were too far gone. You're just this awful sinner. I will not associate with you. I'm not going to condone what you're doing. I'm not going to condemn what you're doing, but I will connect with you so you can repent of what you're doing and you can have a right relationship. So in that original picture of that team that we took, there was one woman who, um, she was not from our church and she was not from another church. What she was, was a woman who had been in the pornography industry and she had been set free from that through a relationship, a friendship that was built at one of these conventions. Her name is Brittany. Um, and so I show this picture because, um, well, she's, she's, she and her husband, Rich, they've been on Dr. Phil, like they've shared their story. So this is not like me breaking a confidentiality thing. They're very open about their story because Brittany was someone that was lost and then ended up marrying Rich, who's a pastor. And now they are working together in ministry. But here's how she expresses the beginning of her journey or where, what it looks like. She says, I first encountered Triple X Church while I was still in the porn industry. I used to call them the Jesus loves porn stars people. This message pierced my heart. I used to wonder, could Jesus really love me? Because I sure don't deserve it. I sell myself for money. How could he ever love me? But Triple X Church showed me with their continuous acts of love and kindness that yes, Jesus really did love me. In fact, he loved me so much that he refused to leave me in my misery. Who would have thought, ever thought that in my sin, God would connect me with a ministry that many years later he would ask me to lead? Certainly not me, but this is the grace of our God. So it's events like that. It was, it was this team that was going to a porn industry, a porn convention years earlier, build a relationship over, maybe it was vanilla pretzels. Maybe it was over makeup. Maybe it was over just little things. And one of our teammates built a relationship that she would see Brittany over the years at different conventions. And it took seven years, seven years for people just to not condone, but not condemn and to connect. And then to be able to, eventually she gets this point where Jesus really did love me. Friends, this is why we go after the lost. We go after the lost because there's stories like Brittany that now her and her husband are leading the ministry of Triple X Church and, and have podcasts and stories and they're going on Dr. Phil and they're sharing what God has done in their lives. And he as a pastor is sharing like, this is what it's like 
to, to love someone that, yeah, we all have our past, but look at what the gospel can do. Look at what the power of Christ can do. And so that team, shoot, that was the first time that Brittany came as a team member of the team wearing those shirts rather than as someone being ministered to. And it wasn't easy for her. But it was through that that because Rachel, a friend of ours, reached out, went after the lost, because you rejoiced with Brittany being found, and because God had a plan for Brittany that no matter how far of a prodigal it seems she was, anytime someone comes to themselves, which is from Luke 15, 32, and comes and repents and comes back, God meets them and comes near to them while they come near to him. So friends, there are people in your life and my life that we look at and we think they're too far gone. We think, oh, that, you know, that person will never go to church. That person will never follow Jesus. That person will never come to the end of themselves and turn back. But friends, it is not our place to close the door to how God might be using us to reach people far from him. It is not my place to say, God, you have a heart for sinners in general, but not for this one. So I'm going to wash my hands of him or of her. And God says, no, no, no. I want to use you to go after the lost. And when they come, I want you to rejoice with the found. And when you do that, you know that the heavens will celebrate and rejoice over one some one sheep who was lost, their hope was perished, and their ideas were destroyed over the 99 who don't need to do that anymore because they've already found that relationship with Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person who's part of our service today. And Lord, I pray for Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to, um, I pray that you would speak to each of us now those of us who have a right relationship with you, those of us who follow you, that you would speak a name or you'd show us a face of someone, Lord, that either that has wandered off and we could bring back into the fold, someone who loves Jesus and follows but has kind of backslid over the years, and or that you would show us and give us a name or show us a face of someone who's so far from God, so far from you, that in the end, if someone doesn't share the gospel with them, they will perish. All hope will be lost, perished, and destroyed. And may we be people after your heart, Jesus, to seek after the lost and to rejoice with the found. Thank you for your love for us, Jesus, and thank you for who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.